Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. the latest edition of the audible presented by trader joe's i'm bruce feldman joined as always by my colleague Stuart mandel all right Stu, there was huge huge nil ish recruiting news over the weekend a very i don't know if i would call it salacious story but there's there's some crazy stuff going on and and you are actually the best person to talk to about it because it, uh, for people who maybe aren't following this closely, as it relates to agents working with high-profile high school recruits, the one who's become the most prominent is a guy named Mike Caspino out of Orange County in California. Uh, you have covered him. You have talked to him for months. Uh, Mike Caspino represents Jaden Rashada, who is a top 50 overall ranked Recruit in the 2023 class, Jaden Rashada on Sunday. Uh, he's a four-star quarterback out of Northern California. Announced he is going to Miami. He picked Miami over, among other places, Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. Jaden Rashada had kind of a wild recruitment in that he, and we believe it's kind of at the advisement of his agent, Mike Caspino, was doing a lot of trips to colleges, unofficials and officials, and was kind of showcasing. It felt like it was like a bidding war that was kind of at play at place. And then long after, probably a few uh, later the night that it came out that he had committed to Miami, the story goes up on on3.com uh, talking about the reports that the number of that Jaden Rashada got or is getting to go to my to go to Miami. I don't even know if it's the right way to say that, but that's how it's kind of the story was framed. Was nine point five million dollars, and then he turned down significantly more than that from an offer from Florida. Now, there's a lot of stuff that is a little sketchy in this. To put it mildly, <laughs> okay. So, like I said, you've talked to Mike Espino probably as much as anybody in in the college football recruiting reporting space. Um, what do you believe? This is one of these, this is our story where uh, it's not just Mike Caspino. You know, everybody you talk to has a different version of events. And you just, you get off the phone and you can't help feeling like everybody is lying to you in some, in some regard. Maybe some of it is semantics, playing the semantics game. But you just, there's no way to, you know, you just don't believe this stuff. I heard the same numbers that are in this story earlier that day. And, but I'm not going to go out and throw these, you know, huge numbers out into a story without definitive proof. And I don't think there is definitive proof yet. Can we, I can I think... ask you this too also? Yeah. Let's stop there. 
when it comes to def- what you define as definitive proof, let's give our our listeners, our audience, a little bit of a peek into what we see as what would ju- what would what we would consider definitive proof to well, go with that yeah. number. The only numbers I've ever reported on these NIL deals, and the the first one was obviously the eight million dollar contract, and then there were three smaller ones were deals where I saw the signed contracts. Short of that, I mean, the only I think the only way I would be comfortable reporting it is if. So this deal he writes in here is with John Ruiz's company, the the big Miami booster. His company, Life Wallet, is doing deals with all these Miami athletes. If John Ruiz is willing to say, but he he's denying all this stuff. If he's willing to say, yeah, we paid him X, you know, to me, and then you've got the other side of it saying the same thing, then then that to me seems more credible. But I still kind of feel like you got to see it in writing. Now you wouldn't say the interesting thing is I was thinking about this. You know, you cover coaching searches all the time and people tell you like, yeah, Mel Tucker just agreed to a contract for X. You don't say like, I got to see that in writing. Like if the agent is credible or whoever's telling you that, you know, you feel comfortable running with that. But this NIL stuff is so new and so you just don't know what to believe that I don't I wouldn't feel confident just putting that out there Um, because we do hear a lot of rumors about crazy numbers in NIL and you just. Nobody knows if they're true. Right. And so in that spirit, and it comes to, you know, just a a kind of a little window into how reporters work, at least in college sports, and I feel like this is generally in most of the people I'm, you know, talk to or other reporters and even cover other things, is you basically have to develop trust with who these people are, who's a good source you find out over time because you see their track record. I don't think you'd put out some huge splashy story based on somebody who you don't you're not really sure of in the case of mike caspino i mean nobody had ever heard of him in this space um till a few months ago and also he has a vested interest in the in these numbers being big because if the numbers are bigger it makes him a more attractive potential partner for recruits and their families looking say hey that guy got that big of a deal i want to go with him right so i think that is something to keep in mind now i would circle back to what i asked you a minute ago which is you know we always have to be very skeptical in our reporting process i think it's not an insignificant thing to think this through and you and i have talked about this a lot offline is okay somebody was like the aspect of if you had been shown a bogus contract, like eventually that could get out. Like I'm saying not get out on you, but I'm saying get out on the person who presented it to you. In, in this case, if it is, if it is Caspino being an agent slash attorney, um, there'd be a lot of really bad, you know, significant ramifications for presenting fraud. So I think when people go like, I think what what's realistic to expect and not expect, this is more than hearsay and what somebody tells you. Because even if a lot of times you'll see, you know, their stories get reported and it's like somebody's told you something, but they tell you it. It's not, the burden of proof is different than showing you it and seeing it. And there's a lot of stuff where it can be screenshots of things. I'm like, ah, that could be, kind of, you got to be skeptical. I thought what also jumped out at me in that, um, in that initial uh, on three story by Jeremy Crabtree on Sunday night was not only did you have the dollar figures, 
about what my what he was supposed to be going to be getting, but also what Florida had offered. But then there was this incredibly damning quote that it's not an anonymous source. It is Mike Caspino blasting Florida and its collective, the most dysfunctional, you know, I've ever seen. Florida is the most dysfunctional collective in all of college football, Caspino said. I plan on steering my clients away from them. From my standpoint, I never, ever want to deal with them again. If it weren't for the collective that's completely dysfunctional in Florida, he probably would have been there. All right, backing up. Big HFS uh, quote, if I've ever seen it. And then, so he has this nemesis on Twitter, Darren Heitner, who uh, was one of the early, I mean, he's been kind of a public profile for a while, but when NIL went effective July 1st last year, he, he was one of the first, if not the first, you know, representing athletes and getting these big deals. The Cavender twins from Fresno State are his clients, or they used to be Fresno State, now they're Miami. Basketball players, yeah. Um, so, and he, but he also works with the Gator Collective. He's a Florida grad, and he cannot stand Mike Caspino. And so as soon as this came out, with, with not only, you know, he's bragging about a deal that you would think if this really happened would be considered a blatant NCAA violation. Um, but the, the, you know, the shot at the Gator Collective, which I think reading between the lines is a shot at Heitner, uh, just came back spewing venom. Um, here's what I think is happening to some extent. First of all, I do think he wanted to go to Florida and it sure looked like Florida was the favorite. Now, there was a period a couple weeks ago where all the recruiting experts were leaning toward Florida and Miami wasn't even really being talked about. So remember, he has visited Oregon, LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas A&M. He's been all over the place. And then suddenly it became about Florida. And then, okay, here's a key detail. There was the week where the NCAA came to visit John Ruiz, right? The the guy who's probably been the most out there about the money he's throwing around at, at athletes. And I think at that point, Miami went dark a little bit. And then the NCAA came, they didn't find anything, they're off. And suddenly Miami's back in it in a big way. And then remember, he was supposed to, here's the key detail, Bruce. He was supposed to, I keep saying that, he was supposed to announce his commitment on July 18th. He put out a tweet about it and everybody was expecting him to commit to Florida. And then he pushed back his commitment announcement a week and used that week to go take a, I believe, three-day visit to Miami. And at that point, you realize it's probably going to be Miami. Yeah, I don't know. I think the hardest thing for us to do, and I feel like I have reasonable ground on this just from having covered and written a big recruiting book, I think it's really hard to predict what actually a high school kid really wants where they want to go what the circle because so much of it changes from like week to week it's also unclear whether the kid is driving this or his father is driving this his father if you go to his instagram account all of his in almost all of his instagram pictures posts are of these you know when they go to campus and they do these photo shoots and he's in them in some cases front and center like it, it almost seems like he wanted to go to all these places for himself right to get wine and dine and take the pictures. And I mean, I've never seen a kid in so many photo shoots. He, he went to BYU. He went to Cal. He went to Ole Miss, I think more than once. Um, 
And like, I just don't know if the kid himself would want, I mean, that's just an absolutely exhausting schedule. I remember at one point they visited Oregon and, and there was a notion that he was going to commit to Oregon right after the trip. And then the trip ends on a Sunday and the next day it's, oh, now he's scheduled an unanticipated visit to Florida. Um, there's a lot going on there. Uh, now, okay. I talked to Caspino on Monday. One thing, one thing before let's, I think this is a fair point to jump in. So while all this was going out, Jaden Rashada himself posted this on his uh, Twitter account. Any report regarding my commitment to the University of Miami is false unless I was interviewed directly. All reports of my decision involving an NI deal is inaccurate. I would never make a life career choice for any monetary value. As I stated in my commitment live on TV, I chose Miami because of the relationship I have with the coaches, players, and the direction of the program is headed. I wish not to address the false reports again, as this is a time I wish to celebrate my college commitment and my commitment to my current team and teammates as we look forward to our dream of winning a championship. At this time, I request no interviews with all love, Jaden Rashada. Uh, that is basically also coming on the eve of... To, you know, as we're taping this Tuesday morning, Tuesday night here in Southern California, the Elite 11, where not only Jaden Rashada, but also Emery Williams, who's Miami's other quarterback commitment that they took, who's an in-state quarterback, who I know that that staff seems to be pretty excited about. They're both competing in the Elite 11. And so I don't know if you'll hear any more from Jaden Rashada uh, or his family on this this week, but they will be around and we'll see what happens. Which gets into another ethical question. Um, you asked, you start out asking, "What burden of proof do you need?" If it was, if you were covering the NBA and you got a scoop that an NBA free agent had, had was going to go to X team for this amount, you wouldn't think twice about reporting it. If it's a seventeen-year-old college recruit, my thinking for the last week or so has been, I would feel really uncomfortable putting that out there if the player wasn't part of it, actively part of the story, wanting to participate. Because it's kind of his moment, and now, like, he had to put out that tweet because he's dealing with all the these hate tweets from Florida fans, and and obviously now he's kind of a target if he's really the nine point five million dollar guy. And it kind of seeing that reaction kind of confirmed to me, like, yeah, that that's really icky. My um, feeling on that is is slightly different, just in okay. this regard. Just from like I said, I've covered this a lot, um, not the Rashada case per se, but just covering recruiting. My feeling is always a lot of times you hear somebody go, oh, he was a silent commitment for all the time. He's like, yeah, that's what he may be telling, you know, this staff. But there's enough examples of recruits telling somebody one thing and until they announce it, like I've been in the room where coaches are expecting something to happen and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So from that alone, I just feel like it's a lot flimsier than than that and I I don't I'm not taking away from what you're said because I know it's definitely been awkward where there are times where I know that maybe some other reporters we're competing with probably know the same coaches and sometimes coaches on their staff will they will basically scoop their own kid their own player who may be committing and it's happened a bunch of times where you know they they will tell reporters hey we're gonna get some good news here and you know, I don't know. I, I kind of I hear where you're coming from on that for sure. I, it's interesting you say that because the sense I've gotten recently, it used to be I don't know how many years ago that yeah they would reporters would call the kid trying to get the scoop that he committed. What I've noticed recently is there are many instances where um, 
there are many instances where everybody, every, you know, all these recruits, they all know where the kid's going, but they kind of respect it and wait for him to put out his social media. Because these kids, like, that's their big moment. They've been waiting so long to put the splashy graphic up or hold the press conference or whatever. Now, maybe I'm being old-fashioned. Maybe, maybe somebody listening to this would say, hey, if they're going to make this kind of money, then they're basically professionals and you should cover them like professionals. You know, I'm, I'm open to, to either side of that argument. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Stu, one thing we should like pivot to on this story is there's a lot of little tentacles to this, and we've all done some reporting on it since it's unfolded as well. Um, one of the things I've heard from people I've talked to who also know Jaden Rashada is there. Mike Espino is a very polarizing uh, subject, and he's definitely made a lot of enemies, and you know, in a relatively short time around recruiting. And one thing that has come up is if you are acting as an agent or a lawyer or whatever you are. Um, shouldn't you be always putting your client's best interest first? So one of the things that the the people I talked to yesterday were really disgusted about when it came to this story, and, and especially Mike Espino, was they feel like if you're representing a client, you have to put their interest first. And they felt like Mike Espino was putting Mike Espino's interests above Jaden Rashada's ultimately, because let the kid have his moment. Instead, he is talking about Florida and he's going on the record. And now all of a sudden it's out there that he's not, you know, this, this kid is going to be the $9.5 million quarterback. And that's whatever he's going to be known at because it comes right on the heels of this. And they felt like that was wrong. Do you, what do you, where do you stand on that as somebody who's talked to Espino a lot? I mean, Take it with a grain of salt, but he insists he did not give those numbers to the on three reporter. That the on three reporter already had those numbers by the time he called uh, Caspino. Um, but to your point, there are still all these kind of shocking on the record quotes. And I think the main reason it's also shocking, if you're reading this, is why are you admitting to, like, if the kid has a deal with Miami? before he gets to school, isn't that blatant, uh, you know, pay for play, right? We know the NCAA has, they don't have many rules about NIL, but one of them is no pay for play. One of them is no recruiting inducement. This seems to check every one of those boxes. In fact, in the story, he says, um, 
you know, another, uh, I mean, a part, part of this that made headlines, frankly, was he said that Jaden Rashada turned down millions to go to Miami. That um, Jaden left millions on the table. Millions. He did not pick the highest offer. He went there because he loves Miami, the coaches, and the opportunity. And so you're like, uh, what? <laughs> left millions on the table, did not pick the highest offer. This is everything that the NCA is trying to, to put a halt to, and you're admitting to it on the record. So I asked him. His nemesis, who's the lawyer, who is the Florida guy, a University of Florida guy who is work, working with Florida and is very prominent on social media in this place, you know, accused, you know, accused him. He basically pointed the finger and, and said, you're, you are, uh, there's yours violations, right? This on social media after that. So here's some questions I asked on Monday. How do you respond to Heitner saying you violated NCA rules? He has no clue what he's talking about. It's not an NCA violation. He knows nothing about the deal. Is it an inducement? What is an inducement? His whole reason for going there is to win a national championship. That's his inducement. I've never, ever had a kid pick a school solely because of the money. And most of the time, they don't take the highest offer. Solely because of the money. Solely right. because of the money. So you can start to see the... A lot of semantics. The semantics here. Working very hard here. Also... We don't. Here's another one before you before you go on. I said, well, where you know, because he's ta- again, he talks mostly about Florida and this this mystery eleven million dollar. What is the process with Miami? We have a deal in process right now with a collective for Miami. We are in the process of a deal right now. The discussions did not begin until after his visit. I was very confident at the time of his announcement that we at the time of his announcement is 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 my words. He just said I was very confident that we could get a deal done, and I'm still confident we can get a deal done but we don't have a deal in place as of this moment. He's convinced to the University of Miami to play football there. Everyone's saying we have a deal in place. We do not have a deal in place. So, so many semantics. One key thing is I think he's saying there's no deal in writing, right? There's no contract. Therefore, we don't have a deal in there's place. There's no contract signed. There, I mean, here's one thing that I think our audience should know, though. Mike Espino's contracts with colleges in regard, they have gotten around because he's been involved with a with a bunch of recruits and so um independent of you like i've seen one of his contracts they all say in them all parties agree you know there's an inducement clause all parties agree that this is not an inducement right but it's one sentence that it's quote not an inducement and there's a lot of people who have shown these lawyers say this will they don't think this would hold up in court now that's obviously not for you and i we're not lawyers and we're not weighing in this but that's some context. So I would not be surprised if Darren Heitner has seen seen Caspino contracts because, like I said, I've seen them. Well, what Heitner is saying is it doesn't matter what's in the contract. It's the spirit of it. And it's so clear that this is an inducement. I would also note that, um, you know, another detail, right, is that he is strenuously denies that he, he has talked to John Ruiz about Jaden Rashada. And John Ruiz says the same thing. So you would be like, well, that that doesn't add up. How could he have a deal with Miami if the lawyer hasn't talked to the booster who's making the deal? However, and this is this is I have two theories on why he feels so comfortable putting this stuff out there. One that's semantics. One that's that's more conspiracy theory. Um, there's ways to do a deal like that where the two of them aren't dealing directly with each other, right? I mean. I've signed. I've had things I had to docu-sign where the person who's on the other end of the docu-sign, I have no idea who they are. Right? You're just sent a contract and told to sign it. Right? So that could be one uh, semantic. 
Part of me, though, just thinks, you know, I did a story a couple months ago where I quoted him saying the minute the NCAA, it was a story in response to the NCAA's, you know, new memo they put out reiterating or reinforcing that any booster contact is a violation. He said the moment, the minute um, the NCAA tries to get, tries to interfere with one of my client's contracts is the minute I sue them for antitrust. Part of me thinks he is begging the NCAA to come in and do something so that he can turn around and sue them and get all the publicity that comes with that. Hmm. Um, let's take it two things going forward. Um, one, so this is a top 50 recruit. He's potentially the biggest, the highest rated quarterback Miami's had recruited since Kyle Wright, by the way, another Northern California kid who ended up in Miami. Um, the thing I would wonder about, we'll see how good he's going to be if he even gets there. Um, I do think what is significant is it seems like the attention he is bringing, because this is a high-profile kid who has been all over the all over the landscape of recruiting. For Mario Cristobal's program, I think there's a bunch of other recruits who may be more excited about Miami just because, oh, Jaden Rashad is going there, whether he is as, as good as Dante Moore, whether he's as good as... Malachi Nelson, Arch Manning, who knows? You know, there's probably as good a chance that somebody who's not in the top ten of ranked quarterbacks will turn out to be the may turn out to be the best one because that's kind of how it sometimes works. But anyway, so there's that piece of it. The other piece, and we should talk about it a little bit, is Florida fans have. You know, I'm a surprise, and I think you probably are too. Like we both like the Billy Napier hire, yeah. but I do definitely think there has been some sense of angst. And this didn't help it because what you saw a lot of on social media, especially Miami fans really, Miami staff really embraced, you know, there's, there's rock, the rock uh, pictures and like, you know, twisting gators and everything else like this. I mean, this was definitely rubbing their nose in it that it was, hey, he picked here over Florida. Um, If you're a Florida fan, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, it's, it kind of caught me by surprise. It's not like I follow Florida recruiting that closely that there is a faction, and it's the message board faction, so take it for what it's worth, has already turned on Billy Napier, has already convinced that he's no... Because what was Dan Mullen's downfall? He wasn't a great recruiter. They're already convinced that neither is Billy Napier. Because it wasn't just Rashada. There have been a, a bunch of kids they missed out on. There was an offensive lineman this past weekend who <laughs> took a visit to Florida and within a half hour of leaving campus committed to Florida State. So yeah, there's a lot of angst, and I think that... Um, Last week, Bruce, he, he put out an open letter to Florida fans that people took as like a, his attempt to, to kind of fire back and stand up for himself. I'm of the opinion that what happens in June doesn't matter. You know, either he'll come out and they'll be a, have a good team this year and everybody will jump on the bandwagon or they'll go five and seven and that'll confirm their, their worst fears. I would also say that it's very early to be to be jumping to any conclusions about anybody about how good a recruiter they are, you know, Texas, no Washington. Here's a better example. Kalen DeBoer got off to kind of a slow start in recruiting at Washington, and all of a sudden, in the last week, he's had like five or six commitments. These things can come in 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 uh, surges like that. But I think what's you know the 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 Caspino quote you referenced, right, about how dysfunctional the Florida Collective is and everything. If you're somebody, a Florida fan who already was feeling like they're not, they're, this isn't going well, I mean, that's just fuel of the fire. 
I would say this. I think Billy Napier was a good hire. I think he will prove to be an upgrade over Dan Mullen for the attention to detail. And I think he and his staff will recruit. I think he's put together a good staff. Um, we'll see if he can, if Florida can pull another quarterback away. I mean, I guess one name to keep an eye on. Um, you know, there's a there's a Big Ten quarterback recruit who's also going to be at the Elite 11 this week who is, uh, has some Florida roots that maybe that will be one that we'll see if that will be a move that they can make. I don't know. Um, I just also don't think it's as high stakes as it used to be. Like the idea that we have to get a quarterback in this. We have to get a highly ranked quarterback in this class. If you don't get one, you probably more likely that your you, starting quarterback is going to be playing at some place else that is going to be a transfer portal guy. Correct. correct. Miami, like you said, has two quarterbacks in this class. No chance they both play three, four years for Miami. Um, and then the other side of it, right? If Florida feels they've got to avoid a quarterback after, um, you know, after they lose Anthony Richardson, they'll go get somebody out of the portal. So, you know, I get it. Why we place so much attention on these. And this, and this happens to be an absolutely loaded class for quarterbacks. I mean, I think there's five five-star quarterbacks. Some years there's only one or two. Um, so I get it. Is there's a, you know, it's a big victory if you get one of these guys, right? I mean, most notably Texas. But if Dante Moore commits to Oregon, a kid from Michigan, that's going to be a big win for Oregon and a not great look for Michigan. Um, but at the end of the day, like, there's other ways to get your quarterback. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, other news, and actually in most most occasions, this would be the lead story on the podcast. You know, Bob Bowlesby's retiring as Big 12 commissioner. They've been doing a search for a new commissioner, and they've apparently landed on somebody, and, you know, you thought George Klyovkov was, was outside the box last year. This is taking outside the box to a whole new level. Tell us about what you've learned. So uh, Brett Yormark is expected to become the new commissioner of the Big 12. Now, I do think he has more roots in in sports not to college sports but he was with nascar and he was an executive with the brooklyn nets for a long time before he went to be the coo of rock nation um i think everybody knows what that is by now so that's an interesting move so he was a guy that from our reporting that uh he wowed the big 12 presidents and and in the process, of, in the interview process, he's got, what I was told is, he's got a Rolodex like no other. This guy is a very, very well-connected, like he's super tight with Adam Silver, super tight with a lot of people who are very influential around the sports world and like the heavy hitter crowd. Um, I was told he has, you know, a ton of energy and a lot of big ideas. And this was... Uh, he's 55. He is a guy from the Northeast. What's in, a little interesting, Max Olson, um, who's very dialed, our colleague who's very dialed into the Big 12, especially, you know, we're like, oh, a lot of this is very intriguing. I'm curious to see how he's going to fit and wanting to be in Dallas and everything like that. But um, I think this follows in the line of 
George Klyovkov at the Pac-12 in terms of you're talking, as, as you said, as an outside-the-box kind of hire, where a lot of us were thinking, okay, these are guys or these are people who have more connections into college sports. Like one of the names that I'd heard a bunch over you know the last couple of months was Rick George, the, the uh, Colorado AD who had been a baseball executive and had a lot of, you know, you know, in Major League Baseball and had a lot of roots in the Big 12 footprint. And there's a few other names that had come up who were more tied into, you know, had college sports backgrounds. But I guess this guy just blew them away. And I think it speaks to, it's a big shift from where they were with Bob Bowlesby, who, you know, I think we both like Bob Bowlesby and respected him a lot. He had kind of a tough job at times, often. But I think Bob Bowlesby was as close to college sports establishment coming from the AD route as you probably could get. And... You know, this guy, Brett Yormark, Yormark is is very different from at least college sports, although, like I said, he has a lot of ties into professional sports world. Yeah, I mean, for as long as I was covering the sport up until recently, the commissioners always came from, kind of like head, head coordinators become head coaches, the commissioners always came from somewhere, whether they were an AD somewhere or whatnot, in the college sports sphere like you worked your way up the college sports landscape to commissioner and you think about guys like jim delaney mike slive um back to (laughs) well i'm going back to backward to the days of john swafford uh tom hansen you know these guys who worked in college athletics their whole lives and now once this happens we're going to see almost a complete flip where among the Power Five, you're going to have Greg Sankey falls in that category um, and Jim Phillips falls in that category. But they're going to be outnumbered by a guy who came from MGM, a guy who came from Rock Nation, and Kevin Warren who came from the NFL and had no previous college administrative experience. And so each of them has a different background. Obviously, they're not all... Um, it's hard to like kind of connect them. But I do think that I think this is an acknowledgement that it's it's time to it's time to embrace reality. It's time to embrace that this this thing is changing, and these guys that have been in it for their whole lives are fighting like heck to preserve amateurism, to preserve the way things have always been. And I think there's an increasing reality check that that's not how it's going to be. And so you want somebody who, I mean, this happened with Klyovkov. He came in from the outside, and he as soon as he got exposed to the way the college football playoff is run, the way the NCAA is run, I think he was kind of horrified. I'm sure that will be the case for this guy as well. They're going to be much more willing to buck from tradition. And, I mean, this one in particular, I feel like, is an acknowledgement that college football is entertainment. And I, the, the, the athletes are already making money, and they're probably going to make more money. And you need somebody that just is going to be okay with that and, and, um, and, and implement new and bold ideas rather than trying to preserve the way things always have been. Yeah, I think one thing, there's a name you did not mention in either of those categories who's kind of the in the middle somewhere, and that was Larry Scott. Larry Scott mm-hmm. did not, you know, he came from the, from the uh, tennis world and came into college sports without the roots of it either. Um, I think what, and the tricky part is Larry Scott, and I sat through probably as many of his press conferences as anybody, um, kept on talking about innovation over like to to the detriment of probably the league, 
right? You know, so much focused on what I thought, especially the time he was there, Larry Scott's biggest issue to me was he often or too often didn't remember that the main thing is the main thing, you know, and he looked at, kept on looking at a shiny object off in the distance. And so I think if, and we, it's honestly, it's too early to tell where, you know, Klyovkov's coming off a one year and it's really hard even to put it in, you know, Kevin Warren's tenure is, is ramped up right when COVID hit. Right. And so, and Jim Phillips, it's, it's still obviously very early for him. So we'll see how these things are going to work out. But obviously, as you said, landscape's much different. Landscape is dramatically shifting in the in the Big 12. And I don't necessarily think you'll be able to define, like it's not, it won't be, won't be right to define um, this higher on what kind of TV deal they get because I think they're, they're not positioned well to get a very good TV deal, to be honest. But that is what both those guys, Klyovkov, and this guy will be Brett Yormack. Your mark will be judged by is to get in the short term. But Larry Scott, that's what he was hired to do. And for the first couple of years, he was he was a star. He he was at the Pac-12. He did get them a big deal at the time. It was everything else that happened after that that did not go his way. And obviously, the gamble on the way he structured the Pac-12 network did not go his way. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see it. I mean, that is the Number one issue for the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, what can they do from a revenue standpoint to stay competitive? Um, will they be closer once once the dust settles? Will they be, they're not going to be Big 10 SEC, but will they be closer to the uh, Big 12, I mean the, the ACC and the Pac-12 on the revenue situation? Or will they take a big step back? They won't be the, they won't be the AAC, but they could, you know, become fifth out of five. So I think that's what he'll be judged on. Speaking of the ACC, they put out their new schedule model on Tuesday. Um, very similar to the one you're hearing talked about with the SEC, although the SECs would, would involve going to nine games. The ACC may soon be the last one left that's playing eight conference games. But basically, you have three permanent opponents, and then the, the other ten, you play five one year, you play five the next year. So you'll be doing every over a four-year span. You'll have a home and home, at least one home and home with every team in the ACC. Right now, they go five, six years without playing anybody. Um, so what I mean, they they so they so they announced that and they announced the primary opponents. If you're an, a diehard fan of one of these ACC schools, you're probably you know parsing it who who got screwed over, who who got the best break, etc. I'm not as worked up about that, but I will say one thing that stood out to me immediately, Georgia Tech, who's struggling right now, somebody has to play Clemson. Somebody has to be Clemson's permanent opponent. It is Georgia Tech. And in addition to them, they get Louisville, who's usually a pretty strong program, and Wake Forest, who is a very strong program right now. Um, I think they got they got it the hardest. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I think that's a credit. The fact that you say this, is a huge credit to Dave Clawson and what they've done there. Because I think if you had said that two years ago, um, people would have been like, Oh, they, what a break. They get Wake Forest. Yeah. I don't know who you, who you would like want to show up in that, in that um, slot machine coming up. Like where's the three traditionally worst programs. Like right now, honestly, if you're Wake Forest, 
you probably got the best break because you got Duke, Georgia Tech, who's really down, and Virginia Tech, who's usually good, but they're re, you know like rebuilding. Yep. To me, that might be the best. I'm not saying it's three lemons coming across the board, but like relative to everything else, I mean that's probably as good as you can get. Jason Kirk uh, put on Twitter about an hour ago before we recorded this, schedule difficulty based on the last 20 years of SRS ratings. I'm going to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what the SRS ratings are. I've heard of them, but basically some sort of power rating. Schedule difficulty, and sure enough, Georgia Tech, number one hardest, followed by FSU and and Miami, probably because they play each other. Then Syracuse, Clemson's number five, UVA six, Louisville seven, NC State eight, BC 9, Pitt 10, Wake 11, to your point, uh, VT, Virginia Tech 12th, Duke 13th, and coming in with the easiest, based on the last 20 years, UNC. UNC's three are Duke, NC State, Virginia. I'm a little puzzled why the North Carolina schools aren't just playing each other as the three. UNC's got Duke, NC State, but then Virginia. NC State's got Duke and UNC, but then Clemson. And Wake is playing only Duke of the other North Carolina schools. I'm sure there's a logic to it that we don't get. Because it's like the one thing, I, you know, the Pac-12 tried to keep it in the state of California, where you have four California schools. Obviously, there's three that are close, and then you have, you know, Wake and Winston-Salem's a little further away. But I don't know why that is. Ultimately... I think there'll be a lot more. If the SEC does go to the to a model like this, there's going to be a lot more intrigue over who those permanent opponents are. You know what happens? What will happen with the SEC is the SEC has more um, firmly defined these teams are the powerhouses, these teams are the dregs. Whereas you know the the program that the two programs that traditionally have been the dregs, Duke and Wake Forest. Duke under Cutcliffe was respectable, and Wake Forest is actually very good now. So it's hard to flip it. Even like NC State, you know, NC State, I would argue, maybe the, maybe the best team in the league right now. If not, they're the second best. And so, you know, when you look at 20 years, there's been some up and some down. But, like, I think it's just, it's the ACC is, is just, you know, with the exception of right now, Georgia Tech. I don't know who I'd look at and say, oh, there's a program that's going to have a hard time winning four games. Maybe Syracuse. Mm, sir, I'd put Syracuse and Duke in that category for now, unless Mike Elko can work wonders at Duke. But in general, this is the interesting thing about it. So, so the ACC has now scrapped divisions. The Pac-12 scrapped divisions. The Big Ten and the SEC are expected to do the same. And I seem to be in this very small minority that w- that is going to miss divisions. Everybody else is like, thank God. Can you, can you really rattle off without, I don't know if you're cheating as I say this, Coastal and Atlantic, even still? It took me a while, but yeah, I can do it now. Um, you really want me to do it on the air? I don't. I trust okay. you. Um, because it gives you a de- clearly defined, like, something to aim for, you know? Like, you're watching, you're, if you're a fan of whoever, like, your goal, first and foremost, is to win your division. Now, I will concede that that sometimes results in a mediocre team getting to the conference championship game because they won the lesser division but i don't know i always hear people say college football why can't it be more like the nfl the nfl is more you know uh, uh less subjective well that's what they how they do in the nfl 
But in college, apparently we want to make sure that the two best teams play in the championship game. And that will make for, I would assume, better championship games. But I'll tell you, I think it's going to be a problem for, for instance, my alma mater, Northwestern, has reached two of the last three Big Ten title games. I think if it's two best teams, period, it's they may never make it again. It's going to be some combination of Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, maybe an occasional Iowa. Basically, you're going to see what's happened to the college football playoff happen to conference championship games. There's going to be a smaller pool of teams that make it every year. Can I stop you right there and say this? This is not to untape, but um, it's it's exciting that we're talking about the actual schedule and we're talking about football stuff like this and things related to games because as we're taping this, you're about to leave for a little while. Not mm-hmm. leave the athletic, but you know, go, go on a vacation for a couple of weeks. And when you come back, conference media days are going to be in full swing. And that means the season's really essentially here. Yeah, I think because I've been so focused on this trip coming up, it didn't really dawn on me that the see the, how close the season really is. In fact, uh, Big Twelve media days are going real early to the point where I will still be abroad when they happen. I'm getting back in time for SEC media days, but yeah, I mean, it's to me, it feels like the season's still kind of far away. But the reality is, media day, it always feels like the season's close once you get to media days, and they're only a couple weeks away. Yes, I'm excited to get down to Dallas. I mean, I'm actually going there before I go to conference media days, but that's a good sign. We're, we're, the season's close, and for all the other drama and everything else like that, once it feels like football, nothing quite like it. So you're going to do one audible while I'm gone, and then we'll take one week off. We usually do around this time of year. And then when I'm back, and it's full throttle. So um, the emails have definitely petered down, I think, because we haven't been answering them regularly enough. we got to get back at making that a regular weekly fixture so people actually feel compelled to email. But I'm going to put out the call right now because I have a feeling you're going to need some, some emails while I'm gone. So send them to the audiblepod at gmail.com. And Bruce, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.